Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter, connect with us on social media, and join the Travel Club. You can do it all at TravelingCulturati.com. Last week, we talked about traveling in the time of COVID. This week, we're sharing our experience from January to the Maldives, our first trip since the pandemic lockdown began in March 2020. We're going to share with you our entire process of choosing the destination, what we did prior to getting there, our travel experience, destination experience, and returning home. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report on Maldivian culture. But first, let's get into a little travel news. Air travel is expected to soar by Memorial Day weekend, according to an airline analyst. Helen Becker, Managing Director and Senior Airline Analyst, has this to say. We're seeing a spring break at 1.1 and 1.3 million traveling passengers per day. And that's expected to grow to 1.5 and 1.6 per day by Memorial Day. But this is still a 40% decrease prior to the pandemic. Business travel is not expected to come back until at least the fourth quarter, but maybe not until next year. That's when the bulk of business travel is expected to return, but in, of course, a smaller way. When asked about stocks, she said that they're back to pre-pandemic levels. And when asked about the best airline stock to buy, Becker said her top three are Spirit, Allegiant, and JetBlue. Regarding airfares, they have not come down that much to popular destinations like Florida and Mexico. But you will see lower airfares to destinations that people are not flying to. So look out for those specials that pop up on occasion. You can get some really good deals there. But again, it's usually going to be to less popular destinations. And she said something very interesting about airline credits that in some cases, the airline credits may be for the route that you had when you canceled or needed to postpone your trip. So that means that if you get a better airfare, you may not see a differential credit for that. And about two thirds of the people right now are just buying airline tickets. Only about one third are reusing or using those credits. Just some things to think about. Now, despite it all, there are two airlines that are launching in the time of pandemic. (laughs) Who would start an airline during a pandemic? U.S. passenger air travel is still low and at roughly half, if not less than half, pre-COVID. And it may not fully bounce back anytime soon, not until the fourth quarter of 2021 or first quarter of 2022. And talk about the risks. A couple of industry veterans have turned entrepreneurs and are taking their chance and seeing it as an opportunity. The entrepreneurs are behind the budget airlines, Avello and Breeze Airways. Avello is launched by Andrew Levy, the former president of the budget carrier Allegiant Airlines. He purchased the charter airline Extra Airways in 2018. He renamed the company Avello and planned to turn it into a low-cost, customer-focused airline with scheduled service from smaller airports that serve large metro areas. The official start of the Houston-based airline will happen in early April. And in the meantime, the company is keeping flight destinations under wraps until they get finalized. Mr. Levy had hoped for the company's first flights to take off in November 2020, but of course, the pandemic forced the airline to slow things down. Now, though, Mr. Levy feels there are a number of factors coming together to make this spring the right time to launch. Three external factors will be critical to the company's success, according to Mr. Levy. They include pent-up demand for travel, improvement in the economy, and the continuation of positive news about the pandemic and vaccine availability, which will make people feel more comfortable about the prospect of flying. 
While the company would not confirm its planned routes, a recent public commission meeting and job postings on the company's website point to Hollywood Burbank Airport in Burbank, California as one of the base operations. Mr. Levy did confirm that the first routes would be between airport pairs that currently have no direct service between them. And we don't want to go in and do what other people are doing, says Mr. Levy. The other airline is Breeze Airways. Breeze Airways, based in Salt Lake City, also aims to be a low-cost carrier, focusing on routes that don't have current non-stop service, including some airports that the larger airlines have pulled back from. The company was founded in June 2018 by David Nealman, an aviation veteran who had previously founded other airlines, including low-cost offerings WestJet and Morris Air, which was purchased by Southwest, and then Breeze will start just 21 years after he launched JetBlue. Their strategy has been to serve smaller destinations, but the specific airports the company will start flying to first have been influenced by the pandemic. A new airline can cherry pick which routes to begin with, which offer the most opportunity, and then hyper-focus on those markets to make sure they do really well. Their focus is also going to be on the customer and customer service. They'll have some great seat options with additional legroom, but ultimately the feeling of being on a budget carrier comes not just from a lack of legroom, but from an overall lousy flight experience. And that's what they aim to prove, that Breeze will be focused on providing a great travel experience for all customers. The Peruvian government has ordered the lift of the mandatory 14-day quarantine for foreign or non-resident passengers entering the country. This rule declares that passengers with a negative test result for COVID-19 don't have to go into quarantine. The sample test is taken at entry in the country. That's the Jorge Chavez International Airport in Lima or at a border control post. The passengers will bear the cost of the test. If the test is positive, the passenger must enter mandatory isolation, which will occur in the Pan American Village or another temporary isolation center in coordination with the health authority. Likewise, flights lasting more than eight hours from Europe, except for the United Kingdom, have resumed. The government has also announced that March 15 through 31, entry to Peru continues to be restricted for non-resident foreigners coming from the United Kingdom, South Africa, and or Brazil, or who have made a stopover in those places. So bear in mind that these measures may vary depending on the development of the current situation. Also, other destinations are expected to open their borders after Easter. So we'll see where we can fly to as the year progresses. The National Rights Museum presents the She Took Justice Virtual Book Talk. In celebration of Women's History Month, the National Civil Rights Museum presents a virtual book talk featuring author Gloria J. Brown Marshall and her new book, She Took Justice, The Black Woman, Law and Power, 1619 to 1969. She Took Justice tells true stories of the black woman's fight against racist laws while taking readers on a journey from the invasion of Africa into the colonial period and the civil rights movement. Brown Marshall said, I'm honored to discuss my book, She Took Justice, with the National Civil Rights Museum audience, adding, the civil rights movement plays a significant part in African-American history, and I feel it is important to highlight these stories about incredible Black women who, despite violence and law, fought for their rights. The hour-long virtual event will take place on March 23, 2021, at 6 p.m. Central Time. This event is free and open to the public. Registration is required. The book is available for purchase at the museum's online store. For more information, just visit the museum's website. That's the National Civil Rights Museum. It's located at the historic Lorraine Motel, where civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And it gives a comprehensive overview of the American civil rights movement from slavery to present. A Smithsonian affiliate and an internationally acclaimed cultural institution, the museum is recognized as a 2019 National Medal Award recipient by the Institute of Museums and Library Services. 
The author, Gloria J. Brown Marshall, is a civil rights attorney, author, playwright, professor of constitutional law, and founding member of the Gender Studies faculty at John Jay College. According to Devon Reeves, hospitality strategist at the Vaughn Group, who we've had on our show before, less than 2% of hotels across the country are currently owned by Black people. So if you're looking to know of and support Black-owned hotels, here are seven to consider. The Ivy Hotel in Mount Vernon, Baltimore, owned by Eddie and Sylvia Brown. It's a luxury brand in Maryland's first and only Raleigh-et-Chateau property. It's 18 unique guest rooms, including eight suites and 10 rooms. The Copper Door B&B in Miami, Florida. It's in a historic overtown in Miami, owned by Jamila Ross and Aquino West. Six acres bed and breakfast in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's built in the former safe house that was once part of the Underground Railroad. It's steeped in American history, an 1850s era estate that was originally used by Zebulon Strong, a Quaker and farmer who famously hid runaways in the bottom of his wagon while transporting them between safe houses along his route. There's the La Maison Midtown in Houston, Texas, and it's located in Houston's theater district, was inspired by the distinct architecture of New Orleans. And it's a three-story property featuring seven uniquely designed guest rooms. There's the Urban Cowboy B&B in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a charming Southern inspired room. There's the Salamander Resort and Spa in Middleburg, Virginia. Actually, Salamander has six or seven properties, but certainly luxury. One of their newest properties is in New Orleans, but the one here in Middleburg, Virginia is at the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And then there's the Quincentensials Bed and Breakfast and Spa in Long Island, New York, and the Clevedale in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So check them out. And Joe Frazier, the statue and mural has been officially unveiled in Philadelphia to honor Fight of the Century. It's to commemorate the 50th anniversary for the Fight of the Century and his win over Muhammad Ali. Joe Frazier was memorialized with a bronze statue in his adopted hometown of Philadelphia. It's nine feet tall, 1600 pound statue that's designed by Chris Collins and it's that connecting trademark left hook on Ali, much like he did on the March 8th, 1971 fight at the Madison Square Garden in New York City. They also have unveiled a 30 foot mural of Frazier that was two years in the making. It's emblazoned at 1302 West Allegheny Avenue in North Philadelphia. This is the true champion, not Rocky, the fictitious champion who received a statue long before the real champ, Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier was a heavyweight champion from 1970 to 1973 and retired in 1981 with a record of 32 wins, four losses, and one draw. He scored 27 knockouts throughout his 16-year professional career and ended up losing the last two fights of his trilogy with Ali in 74 and 75. Frazier died November 7, 2011 at the age of 67 after a battle with liver cancer. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and our Maldives experience. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you visit that website, TravelingCulturati.com and connect with me on social media so I can see what you're up to. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. In honor of Women's History Month, we're shining the spotlight on Betty Reed Soskin, the oldest living National Park Services Ranger in the United States. Betty Reed Soskin became a park ranger in 2006 at the age of 85 at Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park in Richmond, California. 
She will turn 100 this September. Betty Reed Soskin is also known for her activism in the Bay Area. She was one of six graduates of Oakland's Castlemont High School in 1938 and ran a record store in Berkeley, California. Betty came to the National Park Service as a field representative of the California State Assembly, consulting for Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park. If not for Betty, Rosie may have been reduced to a bumper sticker. Betty became foundational to getting the story straight. She tells park visitors in the documentary, no time to waste. So many people have lived my history and so many people have lived your history and the nation is bereft without those. What gets remembered depends on who's in the room remembering. After 14 years, she still loves her job, and when asked about her favorite part of it, she says, it's the people, the people whom she refers to as her public. <laughs> the reference is not at all inaccurate. Over the years, Betty has become a national treasure, a living legend in her own right. She's given countless interviews to major media outlets, authored the acclaimed Sign My Name to Freedom, a memoir of a pioneering life. And in addition to the aforementioned documentary, a new film of her life is slated for 2021. Well, cheers to you, Betty Reed Soskin. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Last week, we gave you an update on traveling in the time of COVID. Part of that included our own experience from a trip we took in January to the Maldives. So this week, we're sharing our full Maldives experience with you, including what it took to get there, where we stayed, and a bit more about the Maldives itself. I say we because executive producer Gene Harley and I took the trip together, and he's joining me to share our experience. Hello, Gene, and welcome back. Hi, Javon. Good to be back. <laughs> Absolutely. It is, especially talking about the Maldives. Every time I talk about that trip, I get emotional. Teary-eyed. <laughs> I do. You know, this was the very first trip that we took since the lockdown of March 2020. Since February when we were in the Fiji Islands. Yes. Yeah. Well, our last trip was February. We had just returned from Fiji and there was a lot of news about whether or not there would be lockdowns. And then about three weeks later, there was a lockdown, not just nationally, but globally as well. Strange to say, we normally would be traveling at least once a quarter internationally. Yeah, certainly do miss that. And that's mm -hmm. why I get all teary-eyed about our Maldives experience. So let's talk about our Maldives experience. And again, we're including traveling in the time of COVID because we have to. Traveling now is very different. And I don't think that that's going to change, at least for the rest of this calendar year. We may see some things lighten up a little bit, policies and restrictions as the year goes on, probably not until the fourth quarter. But as of now, these things will still be in place and be a part of your travels in the event you are traveling. And again, I do want to put out a disclaimer that this is not to advise or say that one should or shouldn't travel. That choice is certainly up to you. We are going to refer you to the CDC guidelines. You can get that at cdc.gov. And I will say that currently the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, recommends against traveling. So put it out there. However, we did travel. We traveled in January and this was in celebration of our wedding anniversary. And we had made this decision to go to the Maldives almost a year <laughs> prior to that. We said our next trip would be the Maldives because we actually took our last trip to Charleston, South Carolina for our anniversary. And it was talk of the pandemic at that time, but it was just a chatter, just a light chatter. Also remember on that trip, Gene, we got the news that Kobe Bryant had the helicopter crash. That's true. So it's been a lot going on. 2020 is a year, hopefully, to forget. And it's odd, 2020 being hindsight and foresight. 
But you know what? We're moving into 2021 and our decision to travel was based on a lot of good information and a lot of due diligence. So let's talk about that. It certainly was. So let's talk about choosing the resort and choosing the destination. We kind of put those two together because the Maldives is an archipelago and they have 1190 islands, but only just about a little less than 200 of them are actually inhabited. And then of those islands, you have private islands that are owned by resorts in most cases. That's right. So you're in a situation where this destination features islands that one resort, one group of people are the only people that are there in many cases, less than 200 people maximum occupancy on an island that you can throw a rock across or run across in a good sprint. So when you're looking at these destinations, we're following our own guidelines, the ones we discussed last week in traveling in the time of COVID. We checked the status of the destination. The Maldives had only about 21,000 total cases all of the time during the pandemic and only 64 deaths during the total time of the pandemic up to date. Yeah, and I want to bring up something else as we're talking about the structure of Maldives being a country which is an archipelago. On the islands or in the country of the Maldives, they have implemented restrictions, travel restrictions. So the locals cannot travel from island to island, whether you work there or not. So those who are working at the resorts on these private islands have not been home since the summer of 2020 because they have to stay put on whatever island they're on. So if they're working, they are there for the duration until the travel restriction is lifted. This is so that there's not that heavy traffic between the islands and visitors have the same restrictions as well. That's right. The Maldives has been open since July 15th of 2020. And because they are so perfectly isolated, they're one of the top and safest destinations in the world. And that becomes a critical part when you're making your decision where to go and when. Right. But it is only one part and one decision that you have to make. You do have to look at the total picture. So there is a requirement to get a COVID test and to have a negative COVID test. Fortunately, because of the travel time, (laughs) the time frame for the COVID test or the negative result is 96 hours. So that's one of the longest ones that there are. I've seen them as short as 48 hours and as long as 96 hours. The average is 72 hours, but the Maldives gives you 96 hours. And that's basically because depending on where you're coming from, it's going to take you that amount of time to not only get there, but you have to factor in the time and date you have to get the test and then waiting on the test results. And we were right there at that time frame. I also want to bring up something because this was very important that your test result must include the date and time your culture was collected. So not just saying that you're negative, but the date and time that it was collected as well, because that's the date that they're going to base the 96 hour window on or the 72 hour window, depending on whatever your destination is. That's right. So the Maldives was a good destination for us to select based on that, because as Javon stated, it could take you as much as 18 or 20 hours, and it may be anywhere from 12 to 24 hours before you get test results back. And everything is based on when you go for the sample, when the test is taken, not when the results come back. So remember that that's crucially important. So we flew Etihad Airlines. You'll need to present that test result to the airline. They will not board you without it because they have to take responsibility for your destination. And then, of course, you're going to have to present it upon arrival at your destination as well. But let's talk about Etihad Airlines because it was a reason that we chose that airline as well with their protocols. Yeah, they have one of the top safety procedures in travel and going there. Not only do they offer a wellness program on all their flights, which means that you're being tested, there's isolation, and there's a wellness ambassador on every flight to make sure that everything's taken care of if someone is ill or whatever. So you have a situation where you have that. You can do check-in, which can be contactless. You can do your seat selection and everything on there. 
in Japan, we just love the travel kits they gave everybody on the flight. Yeah, we took photos of them. So all of this will be available on our social media pages. So make sure you go there and check them out. And again, that's whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we have our groups and our pages all there where we documented our travel experience. And we opted to go business class, but we did notice in economy that the flight was not full and many people had a whole row to themselves. Yeah, that was a great situation. Now, we've already discussed on past shows that airlines are offering the option of purchasing the seat next to you up to two seats to make sure you have it. In this case, most people had a row to themselves or couples, and this was great. Also, Etihad is an airline where 100% of all of the crew are vaccinated already. So that makes you feel even safer. But you still are required to wear a mask. They still are doing the cleaning and the filtration system on airlines and at most airports is far superior to everywhere else. So it's a good thing to have in mind. Now, certainly our first goal is to get there as efficiently as possible. You do have to connect somewhere Mm -hmm. going from the United States to the Maldives. We picked Etihad. There's a stopover in Abu Dhabi. That's right. And it is a long layover at the Abu Dhabi airport. And of course, we had lounge access there. But getting through the airport and noticing a lot of things weren't, of course, operational as they would be pre-pandemic, but there were some facilities available, your restaurants, food courts, things of that nature, in a limited way. And even in the lounge, they had done away with buffets. So they had presentations of meals and things that you could get. And you would order them and they would bring them to you. And they had sectioned off areas. We were seated totally by ourselves. And it might have been that there was not a lot of travelers, but they keep that in mind on the planes and also in the lounges. So that means that you have a good situation. Also, we chose Etihad because it goes through the United Arab Emirates. And currently, United Arab Emirates has the second highest vaccination rate of anywhere in the world. Yeah, now let's get to the good stuff, where we stayed. We have a long relationship with Taj Properties in India, in South Africa. They have properties in New York. We love the brand. Mm. It's a very solid brand. It's an Indian brand and chain of hotels. Great service. Um, Five-star accommodations and excellent service, as you mentioned. So we kind of gravitated toward them in the Maldives. We stayed at two properties, one because we wanted to see two of their properties and their differences. We stayed at the Taj Coral Reef and we stayed at the Taj Exotica. Only because they were the same brand did they allow us to go from one to the other and we had to have private transfer to do that and everything was smooth. So staying at the Taj Coral Reef, let's first talk about the coral reef. Now, the first thing to understand is when you arrive into the Maldives, you're going to go not into the city. International Airport, which is in Mali, the capital, is going to be escorted directly out. And then in our case, we were taken by speedboat to the first resort, in this case, the Taj Coral Reef. And it was about 45, 50 minutes. It was rather smooth. We really enjoyed that. We were the only ones on the shuttle. It's a speedboat. You have the option of speedboat or you can take a seaplane to the destination. We chose destinations that were easily accessible by speedboat so we wouldn't have to go to another terminal or airport. It was part of our due diligence. And I really like the Taj Coral Reef. It's a nice resort. There's only 62 units. And like Javon already mentioned, every resort is its own island. Yes, and the resorts are either going to be near the coral reef or the atolls, as they are called. I also want to go back upon arrival within 24 hours of your arrival for the Maldives. You have to go online and fill out their health form. And we were able to download it. It provides you a QR code that you have to present upon arrival. They scan the QR code and then you go on to immigrations and then that really customs speeds and you so through forth. customs It does really speed it, it through. It surely does. But make sure you have not only your cell phone with you, but you have international service so that you can have access to all of those things ahead of arrival because you will need to use them. So I just wanted to talk about that. So yeah, a 50-minute water shuttle there. It was nice being in that fresh open air after being in the airport for that amount of time and on the airplane. But again, we chose the destination because we could do social distancing at the resort and we're at a 
resort on an island that's only that resort. The resort has 62 units and it wasn't completely full because they weren't operating at capacity based on COVID protocols. But the wonderful things that you can do there you're not talking about a hotel, you're talking about a resort. So right. each room is separate. Yeah, every unit is totally separate, whether you're over the water or you're up to the beachfront or you're next to the water, you're gonna have total isolation. There's no one within close social distancing of you. You have a lot of decisions, you have big units. I mean, I'm not talking small hotel rooms. And as we discussed in the past show, it's really no common areas. Everything is outside except for your private unit. And you have a lot of selections on types of unit at the Taj properties, but also you can decide right down if you want cleaning service, how and when you want it, and all the other amenities. Everything is gonna be taken care of in advance. It's contactless for check-in and check-out. And I think the units were very nice. Yeah, it's very important that ahead of getting anywhere you're going and staying at the hotel is that you go online and look at their COVID protocols because that could affect your check-in, your check-out, your daily services. That's going to vary by property, but you want to know that because you may need to make some decisions ahead of time, for example, if you want your room cleaned every day, if you want housekeeping services. We opted to stay in a beachfront accommodation at the Taj Coral because mm -hmm. we were going to stay in the over the water at the Taj Exotica. What I loved is that you could walk straight out onto straight the beach. Out. We had a wonderful hammock there. Mm -hmm. There was also a beach gazebo that you can sit out on your lounge chairs and just look at the water. And then, of course, you can walk right out onto the beach and then go swimming as well. You can walk well. right out into the sea. And, you know, that's what makes it good. And we talk about, we use terms that differ. I like to say this is a a mature resort. And by mature, I don't mean old. I mean that the growth in the trees, everything around you was perfect in the sense that the trees gave shade. You could sit there and enjoy your time at your private pool, or you could walk out through the sand, no more than about 30 feet, and you have your feet in the water. And that makes for a perfect accommodation. Yes, and you can walk the whole <laughs> island. It's just one loop around. Yeah, you can loop. walk the whole island. It was about the size of walking around a running track. <laughs> we were shocked the first time. You walk around, and we look back, and we were right in front of our unit again. So that was great. And we rarely saw anybody, although the resorts were about 75 to 80 percent occupied. And I think that's a part of the fact that it's just not that crowded anyway. It was never meant to be. Right. And I have to mention that both properties are mostly inclusive. Your meals, for example. And then, of course, you can add some special things if yeah, you, you want to. You can have a meal plan that's half board to all inclusive and all those other elements on there. It's up to the individual on what you do. And as Javon was stated, there were many dining opportunities on both of the resorts, both islands for you to enjoy. And at all times, you could isolate as much. And we'll talk about that more. Yeah. So let's talk about the Taj Exotica. Oh, boy. Now, what I loved. It uh, lives is, up to the name. It certainly <laughs> does. But what I loved is. It's much closer to the main island. Yeah, it's only 20 minute speedboat ride. And was that a great speedboat ride? The dolphins followed us the entire yeah. route. I mean, it was fantastic. Folks, we're going to post these pictures, so you've got to see them. Yeah, it was very lovely and nice. We slowed down and took pictures of the dolphins and they stayed alongside of us. Now, this one is on the south part of the main island, the I guess, mm -hmm. of the atolls. Mbudu Finolu is the name of that particular island. And it's in the middle of one of the largest lagoons in the Maldives. And it's renowned for its rich flora and fauna, tropical island, and it's known as the Three Coconut Isle. And it's situated right along the coral reefs. And as we said earlier, just a 15 minute boat ride from the airport. And the waters, I tell you, are really as you're blue, they really are. Oh, it's fantastic. I felt all the time we were there as we passed other islands and other resorts that I could see the bottom the entire time. And it's deep water, but it's just so perfect as you're blue as Javon stated. It is. And as we said, we stayed in an overwater bungalow here, which was phenomenal. And it had its own dipping pool. One morning activity that we had was just feeding the fish. You know, <laughs> and, and our neighborhood sharks are, are black, <laughs> black tiff sharks, which are not very big and raised that just are there all the time. Yes, they are. And it really is nice. And you have that isolation. The other thing is, of course, the Maldives is known for its water activities from 
all the things that you can do pretty much on the water because you're surrounded by water. But the Exotica, they have majority of their properties that's in like an oval shape um, over the water. Mm -hmm. They do, however, have some beachfront properties that are fabulous. Yeah, some townhomes. I mean, beautiful family townhomes that are available. Just about every unit has a private splash pool or a private pool beach access. Okay, the island is pretty long. It's a short walk, but it's long. But you can throw a rock from one side to the other. So everybody is on the beach. Great activities all the way there. My favorite activity was, frankly, to sleep in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And even though you're talking about, well, you know, COVID 2020, we've all been spending a lot of time at home, but you still get up and you work. So it was really nice to just wake up to these blue waters, which was fabulous. And then again, let's talk about some of those other activities and water sports. You have diving. They're really well known for diving. There's shipwrecks right off of the corals there. Yeah, the Coral Reef has a beautiful shipwreck for diving, swimming activities, snorkeling activities. You have dive programs. Just make sure you take into consideration and do your pre-reservation if you plan on doing diving or anything like that. And remember, even with your certification, you have to get your last dive in 24 hours before you plan to fly home. Make sure you do all of that due diligence. And here's another thing that I like, and this is again another COVID protocol. They provide you with snorkeling equipment at your unit, and that's that's for you to keep. So pre-pandemic, you would just go borrow it each day. You would go to the activities center and pick up one. But in this case, they put one at your door that's been disinfectant. You can sanitize sanitize it yourself if you don't trust that they have, but that's the one that you use and only you use throughout your stay. Yeah, for diving and snorkeling, everything was brought to you and it was just yours, along with your unit being that way and sanitized also. But they had great programs that we always love. I love the gym and the gym was clean frequently and it was isolated and it was never crowded. I was the only one in the gym most days. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you can just walk the island if you like and get some exercises. We also brought with us our exercise bands, which we've been working out with throughout 2020, because at one point our gym and our building was closed. So we've just been doing that same routine and we didn't miss a beat. I also want to go back to the water. You can do deep sea fishing, which is another big thing for the Maldives. I did a spa treatment. The spa was very open, very spacious. The attendants wore masks. And again, they limited the services as well so that they can make sure that, except for you and your therapist, you were social distancing. And then one evening we had a fantastic beach dinner. Yeah, we had a couple of dinners on the beach and that's a great occasion. And hopefully you get a chance to see the pictures on it. But even when you're dining in the restaurants, they have you separated. Our biggest inclusion was not anyone coming up to us. I think it was the birds, the parrots uh, were my friend and (laughs) Javon didn't like them as much as I like the parrots. Oh no, one morning at breakfast, so we wanted to sit right out near the beach. And little did I know that that was the corner for the parrots. And there's lots of parrots, the variety that's there. They're the smaller ones. But the minute I sat down and I screamed, I scared the entire restaurant. But the minute I sat down, I had three birds sitting on me. Of course, my screech sent them away, but Gene loved them and they loved him. But it was a nice experience. So, And we- also, let's not forget that we had the great experience of having breakfast in the pool, our private pool in our room, and having floating breakfast, which is a great opportunity for anybody. You can take care of a lot of your dream activities and your wish list when you're in the Maldives. Yes, the floating breakfast. You have to do it. It's expensive. But it's just one of those things that you just say, you know what, I'm I'm on vacation, I'm going to do it. And they are great Instagram worthy photos. Want to talk about returning home. Let's Mm -hmm. get back to the business end of it. Another reason that we were okay with the Taj properties and the Maldives is that they're at the property, they administered the COVID test that we need for your return. So before you return to the United States, you must have a negative COVID test within 72 hours of your arrival back to the United States. So the Taj Exotica, the last property where we stayed, they converted their library 
into a COVID testing facility. So they had the doctor come on at the property and administered the test. And before checkout, we had our credentials ready for us to return home. Yeah. And of course, we have your negative test, which you need because otherwise you have to quarantine. And that's a good thing to know about if you're looking at any destination, how and where they do quarantining. The Taj properties have special units just for that purpose. And it's something to consider in any destination that you're going to be traveling through in the near future. Yeah. So what are some of your takeaways, Gene, really quick? Because we're running out of time. (laughs) I got to tell you, it was the vacation of a lifetime. There's everything about it from the beach to the resort to the people there in the country. Everything was ideal. I thought I'd be a little apprehensive about traveling there. It was the opposite. I think you'll agree. Neither one of us wanted to leave. We didn't. And I had a teary eyed moment. We joked about it earlier, but I really did when I thought about this was the first trip that I've taken in practically a year and how much I really needed that time and that space and just that change of mind that really I had an emotional moment and we really wanted to share it with you. So we hope that you've enjoyed what we have shared with you, give you some food for thought. And again, we're not telling you what to do or saying we recommend this or we recommend that. Really follow the CDC guidelines and your own judgment. Jean, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. When we come back, I've got the culture report on Maldivian culture. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go on over there and check it out. And while you're there, connect with us on social media. And don't forget to join that travel club. Yes, I know it's been a rough 365 plus days, but we're getting there. And we will start traveling again in 2021, late 2021. And then, of course, in 2022. As I like to say, it's on and (laughs) popping. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. Today, we're talking about the Maldives. Now, when you visit a place like the Maldives, sometimes it's hard to really experience the culture because we're entrenched in these private islands, these exclusive resorts, and we're out in the ocean with water sports and activities. But there is a very strong and long traditional culture in the Maldives. We're talking about a couple of thousand islands, small islands located south of India. These diverse islets make the Maldives quite fascinating and undoubtedly picturesque destination. It's safe to assume that the Maldives can be found on almost everyone's travel bucket list. It certainly was on mine, and I've now been able to check it off, but I want to go back. It's truly a piece of paradise here on Earth. It's also considered an important crossroad in the Indian Ocean trade routes. Through the years, the country's population has steadily increased and has become more diverse. The culture and traditions of the Maldives and the Maldivians in general have been greatly influenced by the Indians, Sri Lankans, Arabs, and North Africans who visited the Maldives while on their trading routes of the central Indian Ocean. Maldivian culture is incredibly rich and it's vibrant due to that infusion of several other cultural elements from neighboring countries as well. Meanwhile, the Maldivians have built and preserved their exclusive cultural identity amidst the many different factors that shaped it in the past, bringing us into the present. Other traditions have been inculcated and adapted through the years, largely brought by that population, immigration, and commerce. The Maldivian language is Devei, and it's the national language of the Maldives. It's what's called an Indo-Aryan language derived from the Sinhalese language of Sri Lanka. And in 1153 AD, Maldivians converted to Islam and the religion has transformed and introduced new fundamentals to the Maldivian culture. Traditionally, the island's communities were very close knit. This togetherness is still prevailing in the small island societies. 
So of the 1,190 very small islands, 198 are inhabited. They have 26 coral atolls, and most of the islands are close to the atolls, enclosed reef, and some are still in process of forming. The longest one is Gan in Adu Atoll. And because the islands are coral-based, they are flat and low-lying. As a result, the water table is very high. However, the islands are protected from the elements by the reef and rarely have major storms. In older islands, a larger layer of topsoil has formed, and these islands are covered with coconut trees, breadfruit, and dense shrubs. Agricultural potential is limited by the high alkalinity of the soil and its poor water retention. However, people do grow fruits, vegetables, and yams on the island. It also makes it a climate that's warm and tropical, but they do have seasonal changes. Primarily two big seasonal changes are affected by the monsoons, two yearly monsoons. The season of the Northeast monsoon is characterized by dry, mild winds and generally extends from December through April. The Southwest monsoon, although irregular, extends from May through August and it brings heavy rains and wind. The Northern atolls are drier while the Southern atolls are wetter. The humidity is fairly high throughout the year. All of this affects not only the destination, and it is the reason that it's such a bucket list destination, but it also shapes the culture because they are a fishing culture. And that's because of their attachment to the sea. During the day, traditionally speaking, although these things have changed and more women are in the workplace now, while the men go out fishing, mainly for tuna, the women are usually taking care of the home. And as I said, as modern times have prevailed and they have become a big tourist destination, they also have some trading and so forth. But at the hotels, you will find a lot of working women. They are modern women just like we are here. But the sea fishing takes an important place in their economy of the archipelago in addition to tourism. For some of the handcrafts that are made there, you can bring back from your Maldives trip braided mats and various jewelry. You also find lacquered vases and small wooden boats that resemble the fishing boats that they use so much. Also because of their Islam religion, they were actually originally Buddhist, but today Islam is the only religion that is allowed. So you may have the opportunity to contemplate a high number of mosques, especially in the capital of Mali. The Islamic Center, which is Old Friday Mosque and Rasrani Park are among the must-see attractions. They are beautiful architecture. So let's talk about some of the other cultural attributes. Music. I love to explore music of various cultures. And understanding this is to understand that there are elements of Indian culture, there are elements of African culture, Malay, Sri Lankan, Persian, Indonesian, all of these influences are there. And of course they've made them their own. That has been the development of the Maldivian culture itself, but the music reflects that as well. Some of the traditional music will start with a very slow process and then get faster and faster. It centers around the drum and it's called the Boduberu. And that in itself means big drum. The traditional drums are made from coconut trees and the skins of stingrays. You'll find lots of stingrays and stingray experiences at the resorts where you'll stay there. The songs are mostly about fishing, which is a big part of the daily life and the culture. It's also the most modern, especially in the northern atolls. So Boduberu's songs begin, as I said, with that slow beat, which will eventually get really, really fast. And they actually have a dance that's also of the same name, Boduberu. And as the music gets faster, so does the dance. And it's into almost a trance-like state. And some of them say that when they come out of it, they don't even remember the dance because it is such a meditative type of dance, but that is the 
traditional Maldivian dance. And it comes from South Africa, but it's been modified. And the language that accompanies the dance, followed by the rhythm of the drums, you will hear a lot of East African influence. And just like with the music that has South African or Indian roots and origins, so does their cuisine. You know, I want to talk about cuisine because, you know, I'm a huge foodie. So, yes, we have to talk about the Maldivian dishes. And I got a chance to try a few at the Taj Coral Reef. They did have some local specialties on the menu, which were quite enjoyable. Some can be spicy. (laughs) They are on part of that spice route as the trade routes from a long time ago. But again, with so many coconut trees, coconut is a big part of the Maldivian cuisine. Curry, and of course you can see that from Indian cultures as well. Coconut milk and fish are also very traditional dishes. So one of those traditional dishes is called the roshi, which is coconut milk and fish and curry. Wonderful. If you love spices especially, not always hot spices. Sometimes the spices are just heavily seasoned and not hot. Coconuts are called kurumba in Devehi, and they're grown on every island. So yes, they make their way to the traditional dishes. And you can get it in any form, coconut milk as an oil in the dishes and that are deep fried. So they usually will fry their dishes in coconut oil. And then of course, fish, as you know, they're seafaring country or archipelago. So fish, especially tuna, tuna is king in the Maldives. They do a dried tuna, so they'll usually either cook, cure, smoke, or sun dry it. And then other fishes are typically either grilled or deep fried. One traditional Maldivian dish is that dried dish. And then it's served with a spicy chili And you have onion blended, seasoned, and it's served on chapata bread, which is called huni rashi. So yeah, a very wide selection of different types of cuisine. But the five main dishes are the samosa, banana flour salad, a fragrant fish soup, the chapata bread, as I mentioned, and sago pudding. And other dishes, I talked about the roshi, which is that chapate bread that they use with the other dishes like the coconut milk and fish. The fish soup is called garudia, and it's a fish broth that's prepared with chilies, onion, and lemon juice. The deep fried snacks that are made from rice or tuna, coconut, lentils, and spices is called kava'abu. And then you have the mas huni, which is mashed tuna mixed with coconut, chili, and onion. That's served for breakfast, and it's served with the chapati bread, and I did have that. So it is more like sun-dried tuna that's mashed, so it's very grainy, but it goes really well with everything else together. And their curries are phenomenal. So I really did have a great opportunity to experience some of the culture at the resort, but as We said earlier, we did not venture out to some of the other resorts, but they do have, I mean, once things are back to, I'll say normal in air quotes, some of the islands you can visit that are completely local are not any of the private tourist islands. They do have some programs where the locals will invite you to have a cultural exchange. And I would recommend that you do that when you go to the Maldives post-pandemic. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.